Good evening, church. Thank you for bringing your Bibles. Thank you for coming back to service. Those of you who made a vow last week to read God's word, how many have been doing that? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Praise God. So last week we talked about what will enable us to get through the end times, the last days, was Paul's first statement in 2 Timothy 3.10. He said to Timothy, you know my teaching. So we understood that that is making reference to the word of God. What he's talking about tonight, his second point that he said to Timothy is, you know my way of life. And that's what I'm going to talk to you about, your way of life. He says, there are three major components that make up the list of 18 characteristics depicting the last days. And they are as follow. Here's three of them. Lovers of self. I'm only concerned about numero uno. I'm not really concerned about numero uno, the Lord Jesus Christ. Second one is those who substitute personal pleasure for lovers of God. Pleasure comes from God, but pleasure is not the basis of life. That's not why we're here, to get as much pleasure as we can. But these people that I'm referring to here in the last days, they substitute that rather than finding what they need in God. The third thing is false godliness, a turning away from the spirit. And some people who call themselves children of God actually at this juncture perhaps don't find anything wrong with that. Turning away from the spirit of God. The reason so many can be easily swayed by false philosophies is that they are spiritually immature and they are ignorant of the truth. That's why we started last week with, you know my teaching. So a consequence of a decision like this is that they are without purpose, with nothing to look forward to, and being nobody, they are going nowhere. Being nobody, they are going nowhere. Hence, we sang, you are my champion. I am undefeated because you. We, we are somebody in Jesus Christ. The old you, the old man, the old nature, it died when you were born again. Your new nature is alive in Jesus Christ. You are somebody in Jesus Christ. Come on. So I ask you this question. Can you believe that some people are just passing time and waiting to die? That's why they're, what they're doing on earth. Well, you know, I'm already this, day. Ah, I don't do that anymore. No, I'm not going to go to church. No, I'm not going to read the word. No, I'm not going to do that. They're just passing time. They're waiting to die. And then would you agree that some people just exist? And God meant for us to not just exist, but to live and to thrive and to be successful and to proclaim he is the Son of God and he is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings to as many people as we can. And to show that by the way we live our life. So I ask these questions. How did I wind up standing at the intersection expecting to be given a dollar or two? And then when you pull up at the intersection, you give that person $2, $5, whatever you give them, and they say, God bless you. That's like an oxymoron. What do you mean God bless you? You can be blessed by God also. How many agree with me? You can be blessed. How did this happen? Some people have life but they have no purpose. They exist, but they don't have a reason to exist. 
Yes, I realize that we're all expendable and that when we're gone, someone is going to take our place. However, while we're here, we should be here for more than just washing clothes and going to the grocery store. That can't be our life. That's not why we live. Okay, so our marriage failed, or this happened, or that happened. We cannot give up. We are children of the living God. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And if that is not true to you, if that's not clear to you, when you are tested, you give up. You walk away from Christ. You're trying to be accepted by others and not concerned about being accepted by the living God. Some people play professional sports, and they're in the spotlight. But what do they do after sports? Some live for the silver screen. But what, they, what do they do when they're no longer given a script? You're getting my point. There has to be more to life than what we do here. There has to be. You and I need to become aware of that. You know, there's a song that says, is that all there is? No, that's not all there is. This isn't the merry-go-round at Great America. There has to be more to your life. You. Were you created by God to be defeated, to be broke, to be unemployed, to be sick? No. Those things do happen to us, but that's not the basis of why we're here. Because while we're performing or while we're producing, we're aging and life is passing us by. They may build a bridge in your name, but as time passes and cars drive over it, no one remembers who you were or what you did, and the bridge begins to deteriorate. They give you plaques. You put them on your wall. Who even remembers what that was for? They give you awards or trophies, and they're gathering dust. So what am I doing now? This is why you're here tonight, so that this pastor can communicate to you that you need to have a purpose. You need to have a way of life. That way of life is that when you gave yourself to Jesus Christ and asked him to be your personal Lord and Savior, he became your way of life. Come on. So if in the course of your lifetime you were introduced and you met Jesus Christ and then asked him, will you become my Lord and Savior, you had some dramatic changes that took place in your life. Well, these alterations just need to get into your mind and your heart so that you can kickstart them into gear. If your purpose, if your way of life is clear to you and it's in Jesus Christ, you have a reason to get up. You have a reason for what you do because everything that you do, everything that you think is centered on pleasing Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you something, that is not a bad idea. That's not a boring way of life. Well, the other friends, they don't want your Jesus and they're taking drugs or they're doing all those other things. Eventually they come and say, can I talk to you? Because you have something that I want. You have something that I need. And you say, well, it hasn't changed. It's, and don't tell me it's Jesus. Sorry, we're done. It is. And can we explain Jesus? No. He's beyond explanation. The Bible says that he's past. I love this. He's past finding out. You can't figure him out. You can't put him in a box. Well, if you do this and say hallelujah a hundred times real fast, you'll get filled with the Spirit. That's not speaking in tongues. 
four of you got that, but I'll pray for the rest of you. Can I tell you something? You have spoiled Pastor Mike. When I preach here and I make uh, points of truth and you clap, and then I go to other churches where I'm asked to speak and I make those same points and they go, <laughs> and they're not getting it. And I go, man, I got to go back home. I got to be with my people because they understand. Because <laughs> the others, I don't know. So here's the first question that we're going to ask. What is your way of life? I need you to think about that. I'm going to slow down here. What is your way of life? For example, if you were to pass unto your eternal salvation tonight, if you died, what would people say about you? What do people know about you? What are you known for? Because the only thing that really matters is not what car you drove, but that woman, that man was a Christian. That's what you want to be known for because that's the same thing God will ask you when you get there. What did you do with my son? Well, I was watching the game, but I really didn't have time for him, or I was reading this, so I really didn't think about him. Guess what? It's kind of late now. So what is your way of life? Looking at you, what would someone say is your way of life? You can determine what others say about you if you want to be known as a Christian, or whatever you're known at. So we ask this question, what are you known for? I'm not saying these are bad things, but everyone knows that you'll make us a peach cobbler, right? And we'll eat it all the first night, then we got big stomachs and go, oh man. <laughs> uh, what if you're known for, I like to ride my bike and go on long trips. What are you known for? What do you want to be known for? And if you're saying right now, I don't know, like the youth people, the young people do, I don't know. What do you want to be known for? You've got to answer that question. Second question is, what drives you? What makes you want to get up in the morning? What gives you energy? What do you look forward to doing with your life? Third question. I already said it. What gets you up every morning? What makes yours a fourth one? What makes you unable to waste time? What gives you purpose? What is it? Are you just on an inner tube floating out to the deep sea? or What is it about you? What do people know about you? What do you want to be known for? For some of you, your main focus is your marriage. Not that that's a bad thing, but that's not going to get you into heaven. For others, it's your children. You pour all your energy into your children, then when they get older, they don't want anything to do with you. And for others, it's your job. Well, how are you going to avoid being swayed from being a lover of God to becoming a lover of self? Question, who's understanding me tonight? Okay. The Apostle Paul was able to say to Timothy, if you're going to make it through the last days, you know, you know, you know my way of life. You are aware of how I live, what my conduct is, and what I'm about. In essence, he was telling Timothy that if he would follow the Apostle Paul, he would be able to persevere during the last days. 
what we're getting is, is that what Apostle Paul wrote from the Word of God, this is our purpose. This is our way of life. The more people that know that, the less difficulty you're going to have. Paul's life was expressed in purity. I'm not referring to a sexual connotation there, but I'm referring to there's no admixture. There's only one thing in there. So he was describing that his life was pure. There was no half-stepping for this Christian. When he gave his life to Jesus Christ, he signed up for the whole program. It was an exchange. Listen to this, listen to this, listen to this. He said, you gave me life. You pay the penalty for all my sins. I now belong to you. Come on. You gave me life. You gave me eternal life. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I am known as one of your children. You paid the penalty for all my sins. I am completely forgiven. The devil can't condemn me. Now I belong to you. Do you know? Do you know that you know that you know that you actually belong to Jesus Christ? And does your family know that? Go ahead. Go ahead. And does... Does your family know that? Does your boss know that? Does your friends know that? I belong to Jesus Christ. It's, it's at first something that people don't recognize. They reject and they detest and they don't want anything to do with you. They mock you. They make fun of you. But guess what? As soon as the rugs pulled out from under them, who are they looking for? The Christian. And what do they say? Will you pray for me? And... And you know you want to say yes, but you just look at them like, <laughs> what do you mean? Are you serious? Yeah, and then they're crying, and now you're really embarrassed. You go, whoa, bro, I've been telling you for weeks, for months, for years, you need to accept Jesus. Ah, I don't need that. Yes, you do. We need to accept Jesus. Come on. We need Jesus in our life. So that's what we're about if your parents are still alive, if your grandparents are still alive, if you've got grandkids, they need to know I am a Christian. Grandpa, are you a Christian? Yes. Daddy, are you a Christian? Yes. Why well, don't I want anything to do with your God? That's your decision, but I am a Christian. Give him a hand of praise again. So for pastors... And for yourself, when you're having Bible studies, you cannot teach one way and live the exact opposite. People watch us. They may not read the Bible, but they'll read your life. Hey, is, isn't that guy a Christian? Isn't that woman a Christian? This is what I mean when I say he lived a life expressed in purity. There were not two different components. There was only one, and that was a life saved for Jesus Christ, because why did you get saved? To escape hell, and that's it? Now you're just, as they say, waiting to die to get into heaven? That's it? Okay, so now I'm not going to hell, but I have no purpose. I'm still living for things on this earth, which is okay. They're not bad. I'm not going to, you know, blame you for that. But what is necessary to get you to start 
living your life for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Imagine, if that's you, imagine when you see him, your eyes are just going to be full of joy, and he's going to open his arms and embrace you. Come on, church. There's nothing like when you have a problem and you go to him and he says, I know you. I know who you are. Lord, it's, it's like confession when you were a Catholic. Bless me, Jesus, because, and I've blown it again. I know it's been about four years since we've talked. Really? Charles Spurgeon, he was exactly right when he said, and I quote, truth is like a lion. Who ever heard of defending a lion? You turn it loose, it will defend itself. That is what we need to do with this truth. We do not need to apologize for it with long exegetical arguments as to why we should believe this or why we should believe that. Just begin to exercise the faith that you have. And when people want to debate with you, when they want to argue with you about why, and I hear this all the time, well, God understands. What does that mean? Well, you know, it's wrong for you to live with that man or for that man for you to live with that woman. Well, God understands. God understands what? That doesn't mean God accepts. So what do you mean God understands? Have any of you had any of your friends say that to you? Four of you? Don't you have friends? <laughs> Maybe you don't want to say that you've said it. Well, God understands. If it's not in here, then you can't say God understands. You're either going to live by the word of God. I hope I'm preaching to somebody tonight. Or you're not going to live by the word of God, church. Just begin to exercise the faith that you have. But I am not a pastor like you. You are not a pastor, but you are a minister of the gospel. Not only are your children looking at your life, your co-workers are looking at you, and so is the rest of the church. They know you don't tithe. They know you don't agree with tithing. They know you don't believe God will bless. They know that you don't believe God will take care of you because that's what you say. He's not going to do it for me. I mean, look, look. Is God who God said he is, can do, can God do what he said he will do? The answer is yes and yes. Now watch. That really was a weak clap, so don't do that. Now watch. Just because you and I cannot explain it doesn't mean God doesn't know what he's doing. That's why when you go to God and you need something, don't tell him what to do because he'll look at the Holy Spirit and go, Really? <laughs> That's what he wants me to do? Don't give God instructions. Lay it at his feet. He is a king. He's the king of all the kings. There's no one greater than him. So everyone is looking for someone to follow. Everyone wants a leader. And if you're going to lead, lead others closer to Jesus Christ. That's what you have to do. This past weekend, Linda and I took our grandson to see the, the Dodgers in Los Angeles. And we were cheering, and then the Dodgers lost, but it didn't matter. We were having fun. But after the game, you know, I don't bleed blue. You get, you get my point? I bleed what God gave me to bleed because I'm not important, and neither is that. That was fun, 
and it was a good time, but that's not my life. And some people will argue with, with you about things like that. But when it comes down to the brass tacks, and you and I have been in situations where you need God's help. Am I talking to somebody tonight? You need his help. And when you do, if you don't even know what to say to the devil, if you don't know where to find it in here, that's a pretty sad condition to be in. Paul pleased the Lord. Put your name there. Mike, please the Lord. You can do that. Put your name there. You please the Lord. In his way of life, Paul had always tried to please the Lord. And Timothy, he's telling him, you must make this your passion as well. We're talking, just to bring you back to where we started, we're talking about the last days. And what the Bible describes that people will be like in the last days. And how can I make it through the last days? This is what we're talking about tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. So, we make it our goal to please him. I guess that's not on there. Whether we are at home in the body or away from it. So, Paul's purpose included a number of goals. Number one, to do God's will. I didn't get lost in my notes. I didn't forget what to say. When you're doing public speaking and you stop, it's because you want people to think about what you just said. To do God's will. To do God's will when that woman at work who knows you're married keeps coming on to you. To do God's will. When you walk into another office and the person has left cash on the desk. No one's around, they're all at lunch and you look at it and that money's not yours to do God's will, God's will. When someone on your job or at your school slanders you, commits libel about you, lies about you and says something about you that's not true and you're about to lose your job to do God's will. To actually say greater is the one that's in me than the one that's in the world. To be able to believe that. <clears throat> Paul's purpose included a goal to preach the gospel where it had never been heard before. When people are devastated and they come to you and they want an explanation, tell them about Jesus. Even if they say, I, I don't want to hear about your Jesus. Well, that's what I do. Tell them about Jesus. Read them a scripture. Read it or quote it. Because tell them, I don't, that, that's all you got? But really, that's all you need. And yes, that's all I've got. Because that's what changed my life. Paul's purpose included to win the prize for which God had called him in Christ. To win that prize. Why did God call you out of darkness into his marvelous light? Am I talking to somebody tonight? Philippians 3, 13 through 14 says, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. 
but one thing, this word I do is not in the actual Greek. We say it in the English, but one thing I do, what? Forgetting what is behind. God isn't bringing up your past about your sinful lifestyle. Forget it. Forgetting when you blew it. Forget it. Forgetting when you could have done better. Forget what lies behind and straining forward. That straining means like the person running in a race and the tape is right in front of them, but there's other athletes right next to them. So they strain forward to get across that finish line. Am I talking to somebody tonight? <clears throat> to strain toward what is ahead. I press on towards the goal. What are you pressing on toward? What's your goal? I press on towards the goal. What is that goal? To win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That can be your goal. That can be your purpose. That's why God called you out of darkness. That's why God wrote your name in his book of life. That's why God knows you. That's why God will never leave you or forsake you. That's why God will bless you and guide you and protect you. <laughs> We're not forsaken. I haven't ridden my bike in a long time. I got back on it. Then I told my wife I want an electric bike. And it's got big, fat, knobby tires. On one battery charge, it can go 45 miles. It can go 28 miles an hour. That's fast. On the street, on a bike lane, well, <laughs> I was on, a, on the sidewalk, and it, the sidewalk ran out, and it went this way for about four feet, then it went that way again. On my other bike, I can turn, you know, and do this. But with this big bike, I turned, and I was headed right into the chain link fence. <laughs> Boom! Right into it. Got up right away. Who pushed me? <laughs> my knee was bleeding. My leg was scraped. Nothing worse happened. I got home, and Linda says, how was your bike ride? <laughs> it was great. And she saw my knee, and she goes, Mike. This bike is big. I was trying to get used to it. I was at Evergreen College, and they have poles there so that cars cannot drive through. But guess who thought he could drive through <laughs> going fast? And it, it doesn't break that fast like the other bikes because it's got a motor that's pushing it. And going through there, and I oh, God. And <laughs> the handlebar caught one of the poles and the bike took me down with the boom. Sorry, babes. Turned and rolled, got back up. Hurting, acted like I didn't hurt. Just <laughs> Who am I trying to impress? Why did I have to go so fast? Because it can. But who cares? I'm not riding with anybody. There was no one behind me or in front of me. But what was I trying to do? Was I trying to win the prize for which God called me heavenward in Christ Jesus? No. It was embarrassing. I'm wearing a helmet, gloves, and all that kind of stuff. In the other bike, the bike shoes lock like cleats in the bike pedals. Does anybody have bikes like that? You know those road bikes, okay. 
And then when you get to the intersection, the light's red, you have to turn your foot and it'll snap out of the bike, what they call a cleat, because it locks in there. The reason it locks in there is so that you receive the same thrust whether you're going down or coming up because your foot's locked in there. Well, when <laughs> the light's red and you can't go anywhere and cars are crossing and you can't get your foot out, <laughs> you lay down and people go by and honk their horns and you, <laughs> but you learn. What's your point, Pastor? You fall down. Get back up. Get back up. There's no one there that knows me. They looked in the rear room mirror and I'm back up and maybe I'll pass them up at the next intersection. Get back up. You're not hurt. That's how you learn as a Christian. Okay, so you made mistakes. Okay, so you blew it. He doesn't remind you of that. Paul had not yet reached his goal. He did not claim to have taken hold of his reward. He had not yet crossed the finish line in the Christian race, but he was committed to going all out to reach it. What he doesn't yet have, but what he was very much, much wants is perfection, to be everything he ought to be as a follower of Jesus Christ. Can that be us? Yes, it can be us. He said, one thing I do, say that with me. One thing I do, say it again. One thing, one thing, one thing. What is that one thing for you? The Greek text does not include the words I do and is really more powerful without it. This is it. Paul seems to say nothing else matters. Nothing else, not your bikes, not your car, not your clothing, not your music. Nothing else matters. This one thing I do for you, what is it? What is the one thing that you do for God? What is the, thank you. What is the one thing you want to do for God? Why can't you make that your goal? Which will make you get up in the morning and read the word of God. Secondly, he says, forgetting what is behind. This could include much of the rubbish from his past. This could include his Jewish heritage and cultural advantages, being a Pharisee, his sins and failures, his impressive array of accomplishments. He says, I'm straining forward. As a runner leans forward and extends himself to the limit, Paul was exerting the utmost effort to reach his objective. I press on towards the goal. Because sometimes, and I need an amen from somebody who's going to understand what I'm about to say. Sometimes you fall down. But you got to get back up. Paul was not following a general compass direction of living a good life. His eyes were fixed on a specific goal. If you don't know where you're going, how are you going to know when you get there? So when you get on your bike, where are you going? Well, I just want to be safe, so I'm just going to go across the street and back. Really? That's why you purchased a bike? You have a destination. There's obstacles. Sometimes people leave things in the street. Sometimes you run over them and get a flat tire. It's not the end of life. When I fell down, I'm still a child of God. Don't you know, church, that when you get to heaven, your shield of faith is not going to be all polished? It's going to be dented. It's going to be bent because you've been fighting the devil. You've been fighting demons. Come on. You've been straining forward. <laughs> Some of you think this is a cruise. 
that you're in heaven and everything's a cruise. Paul's description of his goal for which God had called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He says, on reaching that goal, Paul would receive the everlasting, never fading crown of righteousness given to those who are faithful, even to the point of death. If there's anything more wonderful than being in Christ, it will be the joy of being with Christ. But where is the Holy Spirit telling you to make the adjustments in your life tonight? Where is the Holy Spirit of God communicating to you through the word what he wants you to do? You can, so can I. We can be better focused on being children of God. The world is going to hate us. They're going to be angry with us. But this isn't our home. This is not where we're going to spend eternity. He will take us to heaven. But meanwhile, he wants us to tell them. And like Andre Crouch used to sing, tell them. Even if they don't believe you, tell them. Even if they don't receive you, tell them. Tell them that I love them. You don't have to give explanations. All you have to say is, Jesus loves you. Oh, come on, how could Jesus love me? Jesus loves you. You don't have to explain, church. And for those of us here tonight who recognize I have to start committing my life to living as a Christian, I encourage you. I have been doing it, and you can do it. There's nothing to stop us. And it's a life that once you begin to live, you don't go back. You don't want to go back. You just don't want to go back. You want to live for God. So, Heavenly Father, hear the cry of my heart. Give me the grace and the strength to become the man or the woman you created me to be. Let your Holy Spirit fill me and get me to the place you wanted me to be all along. I don't want to be sad. I don't want to be defeated. I want joy and I want peace and I want strength. I want to be known as a child of God. If that's your prayer, raise your hand tonight quickly. And I see it. I see your hand. Go ahead and put them down. I bless you tonight. I bless you with God's peace. I bless you with God's favor. I encourage you, and I always will, to live for Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. And this church said, good night, church. I love you.